Well, have have you ever had a Sunday school te- lesson that you taught that you felt like, boy, Lord, are you are you just you did all this for me, right? So <laughs> the whole point is just for me. It's not for anybody else. It's just for me, and that's really kind of how this week has felt. Uh, not the plagues part. <laughs> Everyone's been healthy at home, but um, just uh, the idea of of God using Moses and Moses not really, you know getting get with the program early on and so forth so but one of the interesting things i found was uh actually i was uh um as jim was teaching last week talking about um uh talking about moses and the whole concept of them coming up out of egypt and going into egypt and so forth in the message uh in the center here it says and now i have come down to help them to pry them loose from the grip of egypt and it's just really an interesting concept that, that, uh, of how God used the whole nation of, uh, Egypt to, to build a, a, a nation for himself. And it, it's almost like a cocoon where, where Israel was protected and they were, they were cared for to a certain extent, albeit through slavery and so forth for a great deal of time and so forth. But, but God is now going to pry them out of Egypt and, 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 and uh, if, if if God has to pry anything, it, it usually is going to get messy. So just putting this in context, and, and and you know these are these are a lot of these stories are things that we've talked about through Sunday school for ages, and and many of us have an understanding or knowledge of of the story, but not necessarily how it all fits into the whole timeline or the schema of the Bible. So let's talk about that. It's about uh, right. When they're uh, during the Exodus, it's about 1400 BC. Um, this is after things like the flood, the Tower of Babel, uh, and, and those types of things. So it's after that, and it's essentially really it's before you have all the prophets of the Old Testament, and it's before King David and all those types of things go on. So it's really kind of that interim period. But we're really talking about you know the birth of the nation. We, you hear a lot of stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, that's the, those are the, the the forefathers, right? So this is this is actually um, uh, after the you know the, the forefathers, or directly after that. That's really the birth of the nation of Israel itself. It's before the law of Moses. Um, a lot of times we think, all right, you know, the law of Moses. That's when the tabernacle comes in. That's when they start getting really organized about things and there's a way to do it and there's the temple and the, the tabernacle and the worship and the sacrifices and all that kind of thing. But uh, worship and sacrifices have been taking place really since, you know, since Adam. The altars had been built and sacrifices had been made and so forth. So that was a well-understood concept uh, at, at this time. Uh, not that the, necessarily the nation of Israel was, was really um, practicing that while they were in um, in Egypt. In fact, they couldn't because if, I, if you look through some of the plagues as they're described, it says that that, that they could not wor- uh, worship and sacrifice in the nation of Egypt because it violated the uh, belief system of the Egyptians. So they were they were not worshiping at this time. And now re- realize when I say worship, it's synonymous worship and sacrifices. That was their worship. And that's the way they, so that they were, when they were looking to go out into the wilderness and worship, that was to go out there and to slay a sheep and sacrifice it on the altar. So that, that's what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, so 
Noah built an altar. Jacob worshipped, almost sacrificed Isaac. So this is a well-understood concept. Now we're talking, right now we're, we're four generations from Jacob to Moses. So from when they entered into Egypt to Moses, we're talking four generations. They're actually there uh, about 430 years. And of that, you know, the last, you know, two to three hundred years-ish, uh, they were in slavery. Now, so that, think about that. How old is the United States? Uh, we're a little over 200 years, right? So they're, we're, we're talking, you know, this nation and the, the whole of its history, okay, is, is less than half of just a small segment of, uh, of history uh, within the nation of Israel. So we're talking about long, long, long periods of time. Uh, this is an interesting thing. 70 people went into Egypt, and nearly 2.5 million people come out. So, they, they did the leave and cleave, they were fruitful and multiplied, and they uh, exited, really, uh, a full-blown nation. Okay? Putting this in a little bit more like a tighter timeline context, Joseph takes them into Egypt to save the family. There rises the Pharaoh, not knowing Joseph. That's when they begin and, and slide into slavery. Uh, God is preparing Moses during this time. Moses, uh, for our conversations last week and so forth, he spends, you know, uh, you know, 40 years really working for his father-in-law. I love the way that they're always talking about, uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It's like, mm. you know, <laughs> you're working, working for your father-in-law to, uh, and he's just a sheep herder and so forth all that time. Uh, the plagues loosen the grip of Israel uh, of, uh, uh, of Pharaoh on the Israelites, and that's what we're talk, we'll talk about in a moment. And then the Exodus takes place out of Egypt, including the parting of the Red Sea, all that type of thing. Uh, there's the giving of the law, whilst you know uh, the nation of Israel still rejects God, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. And then Israel wanders for 40 years, and then eventually Israel enters the Promised Land finally, and uh, uh, but they do enter without Moses. And that's kind of the the whole timeline where we're at, you know, where we're at, where we're at in history, and when when these plagues and so forth are all taking place. Now, the first thing uh, we're really going to talk about two things, and we're going to talk a, a good bit about Moses and his his uh, kind of his attitude and his you know service to God. We're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk. We're going to kind of go through and review all all of the uh, um, all the actual plagues themselves. Uh, we can actually we can get all, really deep into into the plagues and talk about you know, what kind of life was, what kind of you know what, what what was really going on and and get real specific in that. But I, I the more I and more I went through this and the more I've studied this, that's really not the point. It's more about Moses, more about Israel, more about Pharaoh and their response to, to what God does. And God God actually specifically this is interesting. God specifically hardens Pharaoh's heart. To accomplish all ten plagues, so that God's full message gets out there, which is really an interesting concept. Well, God uses everything—good, bad, ugly—everything. It's all for God's purpose. It all ends up coming back around my view. So, looking at this in Exodus uh, six twenty-eight to thirty section, where, where, where you know Moses is really, um, really advocating. His, his responsibility 
that, that is given to him uh, about, you know, uh, serving God and doing what he's at and being the mouthpiece of God. And what's interesting is that, you know, Moses actually just flat out says, God, you know, I just don't talk well, you know, and, and you're wrong. This is, it's, 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 I am not the person to go do this. Aaron, you know, who's actually, uh, Moses's older brother by three years, okay, is, is, he's the one that talks really well. And so it's really interesting that God could have just walked right around Moses and just said, the heck with you. I'll go do, I'll find someone who's willing. And personally, I am glad that's not the way God chooses to work with his children. Because there's so many uh, uh, times where God could have just said, David, just, I'm going to shelve you over here. And you're lucky I just don't put you there. You know? Because I'm going to, this is what I want you to do. And you're not willing to do it right now. And God could totally work around him. But he doesn't. So in 628, since I speak with unflattering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And but God says in the next, at the very at the end of the chapter, the very first part of the next chapter says, and the word said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be like your prophet. So what he's saying is like, not that he's going to be like, not, he's not going to be God, but he's going to hold that position where God is going to give the message to Moses. Moses gives the message to Aaron. Aaron delivers the message to Pharaoh. So, he's, uh, it, to me, that's just really kind of funny because God's like, all right, you're not going to go do what I told you to do. So, you get to work with Aaron. All right? So, so you, you want to see what it's like to have someone not listen to you and not obey and not do what you asked them to do and, and, and so forth? So, I'm going to set you up with your own prophet who's just going to not do what you want him to do, right? And so, and Jim reminded us last week that Aaron is the one that ends up out in the wilderness building the golden calf, you know? I mean, uh, you know, Aaron comes down off, or Moses comes down off the mount, and he's got the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's like, hey, little brother, I was gonna, check this out. See what we did? While you're gone, isn't this nice? This is what we did. Why is your face glowing? You know, so, so, you know, so Aaron becomes really this, you know, thing in the side that just starts, you know, uh, eventually. But, but at the time, God uses him and God uses his whole thing and God masterfully orchestrates this whole thing to completely and utterly do his will and his bidding. Last verse says, then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and with a mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So it's all about, the message ultimately ends up being, it's all about Moses, it's all about Israel, it's all about Egypt. All about people knowing who he is. Always about knowing who God is and that relationship. So Moses, the unwilling vessel, uh, God you know, uses him despite the fact that Moses is a murderer, he's a wanderer, totally working for his father. He ran from his destiny for years. It's, the interesting thing is, I don't know that Moses was really all that slow of speech. Now, he probably was. 
You know, he was just wasn't a real out elephant and so forth. But eventually, when he's coming down off the mountain and he gets really angry at the nation of Israel, he had no problem. And uh, I don't know, has anybody seen King's Speech? Great movie. When you get really riled up, all of a sudden all those speech problems go out out the door and you can just really deliver the message. <laughs> so, and, and it really, I, I, I just don't know that, but that's, uh, some commentators kind of felt the same way. So, ultimately, God treats Moses like the father would treat a child. And lets him make some mistakes, lets him, lets him not do what's right, and lets him really feel the consequences. So, we'll come back to Moses here in a minute. Let's talk about the plague. Ten plagues. Now, what's re really interesting is this actually takes place over a nine-month period of time. Most of us kind of think, oh, yeah, you know, day one, plague one. Day two, plague two. Day three, plague three. No, no, no. There's some time. Now, there's a few that, that are directly right after the other, especially when you get into eight, nine, ten. They're, they're kind of boom, 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 you know, because the scripture will actually say it's the next day. You know, that, 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 that this message is delivered to Pharaoh and so forth. So, all right. No. Now, in, in fact, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing because the, the river that turns to blood, the magicians actually duplicate that miracle, right? Okay. Which sounds like, wow. You know, these, but you got to think, uh, when you think of it, what happened is, is the, the, the Nile actually is what turned to blood. Okay, it stunk, it reeked, and it was it killed all the fish, right? Okay, so then you, you see this 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 localization of the miracles, and we'll talk about that in a second on some of these miracles because it, it, it hit Israel, it, it hit Egypt, but not the Israelites in Goshen. So uh, so God was just like, mm, there's a border right here, just over here. And so same thing, we think about it. Nile's a river; it flows. So the segment there in Egypt was was what turned to blood and so forth, and then God removed that. Now, the 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 Nile turning to blood lasted about seven days, uh, and it actually, uh, when you uh, in order to drink water, they dug next to the Nile and sand that had filtered and so forth like that. So so that's where they got their water. And most of the commentators thought that. That when the magician did their miracle, it was a little bit like a day or so after, you know, the the river turns to the blood, and then um, they did more of a kind of a localized, you know, hey, Jordan plan, blood, that kind of thing, and so forth. So there's there's no mention at all that they did like the whole river. It, it it turned back here, and then they redid the miracle or anything like that. It was more of a localized thing. So great. Ask any questions as we're going through this. It's kind of interesting stuff. So I'm going to go through just quickly, boom, 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 run through all ten miracles, and then I want to come back around and talk about responses to it. The first, uh, the first uh, plague is blood, where it turns the water to blood, and uh, each one of these uh, slides is going to give you the scripture, it's going to kind of give it a little description of the uh, of the miracle, the warning that was given to Pharaoh, the Egyptian god that it kind of matches up against. Because eventually what God says is that, you know, I've done all of this to show you that, you know, the Egyptian gods, I'm, I'm way, way above them. You know, they have no, they have no power. So, 
and then Pharaoh's response. So the miracle was the Nile was turned to blood. Uh, Aaron uh, uh, touched the water with his staff. Fish died. It stunk. It reeked. Um, uh, it was the warning was given to Pharaoh at the Nile in the morning, and uh, we'll talk about the, uh, that in a little bit. Uh, also, because there's like three sections here too. The Egyptian god uh, was the god of the Nile, and then the Egyptians duplicated not not the Nile itself. Pharaoh hardened his heart, uh, and then uh, he did not listen to the request at all for the Israelites to be released. Okay. Now, Pharaoh, here it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Other times it talks about God hardening his heart. And when you hear the truth over and over and over and over again and don't respond to it, what happens is you begin to harden your heart to the message. Like, I've heard that before. I have not responded before. And so it gets easier and easier and easier to reject the truth. And ask yourself, you know, how that happens to you on a, on Sunday morning at invitation time. Because once a week, we get an opportunity to respond to what God's talking to us about. And if we don't respond, if we don't have that change of heart, our heart begins to harden. Second plague, frogs. The frogs come up out of the river and cover the whole nation of, er, nation of Israel. And this is This is everywhere actually include Goshen at this point. Okay? The warning is given to the Pharaoh probably in his palace. And uh, this is referencing the Egyptian god uh, Haket, which actually is the, the goddess of birth and, and that goddess had a frog's head and so forth. Now there's other other gods and goddesses that it might reference directly and so forth but there's good reference for one. The, magi the magicians magicians the magicians duplicated uh, uh, this as well, but Moses removed them according to when he said, and the magicians did not. In other words, Moses said, tomorrow at 2.35, the frogs can leave, and they they uh, they, they did. So uh, we're, we see as we move through these miracles, it gets more and more specific and more and more kind of addressing what, what the magicians are doing. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he agreed to let the people go if the frogs were removed. But then, of course, what did he do? Can't run. Like any good problem. Right? Plague number three, gnats and lice. The gnats and lice, they, they cover the whole nation of Israel. There's no warning that's necessarily given to Pharaoh on this. Okay? There's the God of the desert that they feel it specifically addresses. The magicians didn't duplicate this, but they said, this is the finger of God. It's like, Pharaoh? He is way out of our league. You know, this is God, this is the finger of God. They refuse to, and, and Pharaoh at this point refuses to listen to the magician's suggestion saying, look, you know, we can't touch this. You know, you need to, you need to move, uh, you need to move on with this. Pharaoh, get over it and, and give them what they want. But it doesn't happen. Which leads us to plague number four. The flies that invade Egypt. Now, this is the first of them that does not impact Israel as well. So from this point forward, Israel's not impacted at all by any of these plagues. Okay? So, which is, again, now it's very localized. Now, I want to see you think about how God localized flies into, other than, you know, the really good screen on the porch, but, you know, uh, 
then uh, Pharaoh's response is suggested that Israel sacrificed uh, in, in, in Egypt. And that's what uh, Pharaoh actually suggests. And, and, not, and not to fa- uh, wander as far out as in the wilderness as, as Moses has stated. And uh, you, you'll see uh, Pharaoh's response actually is always suggesting something that's not the truth, or not what needs to take place, not what's requested. But then he suggests something slightly different. And Moses is like, no, you're going to do exactly what God has said. And he brings him back around to, this is the request. We're not backing off of it. Okay? The flies leave directly after Moses uh, prays, and Pharaoh cancels, uh, cancels, he reneges on his commitment. All right? Plague number five, death of the livestock. And the death of the livestock takes place you know, in Egypt, but not 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 a single piece of livestock from the nation of Israel died. Which is, you know, it's just again real localized. Egyptian god uh, is, is the bull god, uh, god of fertility. Uh, Moses, uh, he, uh, Pharaoh refuses uh, Moses' request, and, and it says that his heart is unyielding. So he's still not budging. Plague number six boils the uh, boils on the skin. Egypt is struck with all the boils. No, none of the Hebrews. See this now? Yeah, you know, it's like Pharaoh's watching all of his, you know, the big time officials, all of his, you know, his nation uh, uh, is getting affected by this. But these slaves stuck over in Goshen aren't, aren't, aren't getting impacted by this, like, at all. So it's really, really getting under his skin. So there's no warning here. Uh, and his response is this is interesting. Pharaoh's response is, it actually says that the Lord hardens his heart, Pharaoh's heart. And again, eventually in, in chapter 12, what we end up seeing is the fact that, that God's doing this because he wants the whole plan to get out there. And he wants the whole deal because he wants the nation of Israel to see the, the whole message because we've got to get to plague number 10. Okay? Alright. Then we get the hail. The hail, it, it happens at a specific time and a specific place, and it's not, it, impact, it does not impact the nation of Israel at all. Uh, the warnings given to Pharaoh in the palace in the morning, it starts another little section of these, uh, uh, of the plague. And then Pharaoh's response is that they, check this out, the Egyptians that feared God kept their livestock inside. So you can see that the, na- the nation of Egypt is starting to respond to this. A pharaoh is, all right. Not the first time politicians didn't hear the heart of the people. So, you know, uh, so so now, I mean, things are getting through to people that God is God, all the rest are not. Okay, and so uh, Pharaoh promises to let the Israelites go out uh, if the rain and the hail were to stop. Pharaoh admits that Egypt is wrong and God is right, and Moses. Uh, knows that Pharaoh and his officials don't fear God, and so therefore the end result is that you know they, uh, he still doesn't let him go. So he's you know every time he turns around, you know he's, he's admitting that things are wrong or whatever like that, and then he, you know as soon as the pressure's gone, he's like, oh, they're, they're not going. So again, same thing. Plague number eight: the locusts. Locusts that come in to eat all the crops of Egypt. It's right, real soon, right after the hail. So anything that was 
was not destroyed by the hail was uh, was eaten by the locusts. So this is one of those that boom, boom, happened right after it. Uh, the warnings given to Pharaoh in the, uh, in the palace, uh, Osiris is the god of the crops, and the, uh, Pharaoh's officials ask him to give in. At this point, it's not just the magicians, not it's not just the people of Egypt. Now, because officials are saying, hey, you need to get on the bandwagon here because this isn't going to go away. And, you know, this is this is stuff way beyond us. Okay? So, uh, God uses the wind to move the locusts in and out. It's kind of an interesting thing. Blows them in, blows them out. And then, uh, um, Pharaoh confesses that he has sinned and offers to let only the men go. You know, the men will always come back to the women because they're cooking. So, alright, so. Like number nine, darkness. Now this is this is not your average, you know, everyday darkness. This is darkness where you can't see anything. Darkness, okay? There's no moonlight, no nothing like that, and it was a darkness that was felt. It was, you know, it was an oppressive darkness. Okay, so that was, that was very interesting. No warning on this. They're attacking the big god, the big god of Egypt. Ra, who was the god of the sun, okay, and this this at, uh, lasted and it covered uh, uh, Egypt for three days, but not Israel. Okay, so how do you make it dark, like dark, dark, dark? Can't see anything dark in Chattanooga, but Hickson, it's okay. How does that happen? I don't know. <laughs> uh, they, they had blinders on, didn't know it, but which is really probably more true. But it's, it's just, it's just an, this is an amazing thing, and, and doesn't, it, it's not easy to explain and understand. Uh, Pharaoh agreed that the people uh, could go out, but not animals. Moses corrected Pharaoh again. It said, "No, it needs to include the animals because that's kind of the reason we're going out there sacrifice." And needs to be everybody and the animals, and we need to. It, it, it's going to happen. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh's uh, at the end says, "Just get out of my sight." So this is plague number nine coming up to plague number ten. Number ten is the big one. All right. So um, this uh, darkness uh, takes place, say, on the nineteenth, and on the twentieth, plague number ten starts. All right. So this is uh, twenty-four hours after. Right, and he's and then Moses's response to him saying, "Get out of my sight," it's like, "Yep, you're right," because I'm not going to come back and be before you until we're on our way out. That's when we're going to be on our way out. So, um, death of the firstborn. Now, it's really interesting. You got to understand the way the Egyptians saw the firstborn of the pharaoh, because that. Uh, that child is considered a god in flesh, right? So now we've got a situation where went from making a comparison to all these Egyptian gods and kind of putting them down one at a time, right? So now where we're, we're taking one of them out. And that is one of the things that makes this such a such an important part of, of, of this. Not to mention it's the birth of the Passover, which we'll cover next week and so forth. But um, 
the warning is given the palace at the same time that the response to plague number nine. Okay, and the firstborn of Pharaoh or sorry, God, uh, uh, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and demanded at this point that the people go. He said, "Get out of here! I've had enough." And finally, he was broken. But what happens eventually? All those that watch they end up in, you know, the Pharaoh's armies ends up following them, getting drowned in the in, in the Red Sea and so forth. So that's, you know, God, God, you know, has given the nation of Israel uh, the Passover and this whole concept, uh, really, really out of this last plague that takes place, and it's something that God sets up as an ordinance that the nation of Israel even today continues to to celebrate or to, to listen to memorial. Okay, so I want to come back around. Where are we going with this? And essentially, you know, Moses is the one that's that's used in spite of himself. And, and and I, for one, again, I'm really thankful for that because I've I've you know I've avoided certain things. Uh, I've avoided doing. Um, what exactly what God's told me to do? Um, because it's not convenient. It's you know didn't fit my plan. You know I'm looking for the sign, even though I I already knew my heart was what to do. I just wasn't listening. I wasn't 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 acting on that. You know, and it, it's just amazing how mightily. God uses someone who is, is as lily-livered as, as, as Moses. You know, because if you, if you talk to any, any Jewish person today, who are the big guys? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. No, I'm not going to call any Terry. <laughs> so, you know, Moses is, is one of the, you know the 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 main people that are referenced in Jewish history, and he just wasn't that willing to, have to go for it until God made him. And I feel that way myself. And you know, I've made some decisions lately that are exactly what God wants me to do, and I know it without a shadow of doubt. And I and of course, you know, I, I had it verified this week. Because the devil showed up and, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> like, thank you. I needed that kind of validation. You know? Because I, I, you know, that to me, you know, when, when, when doubt and despair or, you know, questioning things and so forth that what God told me to do, when that shows up, I know I'm on the right track. Because, you know, that's, that Satan doesn't like to see you do, you do what God called you to do. He wants to keep you in the, in the, in the past. So, interesting thing about Moses, you know, he does eventually receive the uh, kind of the, uh, the the outcome of some of his sin. He actually ends up not going into the promised land. You know, uh, he, he ends up missing out on that opportunity to see that. And and most people say, you know, it's, or I mean, it's specifically because he didn't strike the rock or he struck the rock when God told him to speak to it. But, you know, 
Uh, that's kind of where we're all at. Looking at the meaning of the plagues and so forth, uh, Egypt's perspective, you know, it was just really uh, over overcoming the uh, uh, overcoming the uh, uh, the gods that they had, and really showing them that you know uh, Jehovah God is the one true God. You got Pharaoh's perspective. You know, he looked at it as common magic for a long time, but you know, he hardened his heart. So uh, he saw the truth time and time and time again, but continued to reject it. And it got easier to reject it in a more bold way further along the way. Moses' perspective is a you know, of course, God used weak vessels. And we all should be thankful for that. And Israel's perspective, you know, God judged the, the keepers, the, the people that were oppressing them in slavery. So, really, God's perspective is the most important one. And He's really being a father. God, you know, God's lesson to Israel really is that I, I, I am your father. I'm, I'm the father of the, uh, of the nation. God uses. Moses let the nation make it make make its mistakes. We'll talk about that a lot next week as they, you know, we're, we're looking at Passover and so forth. And uh, you know, of course, the things that happened right after this were, uh, you know, the Red Sea. You see a massive demonstration, up close and personal, of God's massive power. And then the other side, they, you know. And uh, before we really, I, I mean, I've always been really critical of the nation of Israel. I said, like, you get, you, you, you people are pissed. You know, you got all these things. God's, you know, we in the New Testament time, we don't have the opportunity to always be face to face with the miracle God's doing. You know, these people were. I mean, they had to be really pissed. And I get it, you know. And they, they consistently, consistently, consistently turn it back on God. Uh, time periods are a lot longer. You know, we think, you know, hey, you know, they cross the Red Sea and then they built the calf next day. Now, there's longer periods of time in there, and I'm not sure we'll talk about that. But um, the, the the main point, though, is the last last point there is that God's faithful, even when we're not, and God's the one who is like a who who is the perfect father. Now, my my relationship with my father. It's it, it it has its ups and downs, you know. Uh, up until I went away to Bible college, it was rough, you know. And when I when I left home to go to Bible college, I, I my dad drove me to go meet someone to get the car and drive off. You know, going away to college, hugging him was like hugging a telephone pole. And uh, he and my brother always had the had Boy Scouts and they had their thing and they you know so. I, I didn't. I just kind of checked out from about age 16 to 19 when I went when I left, and so I didn't have much to do with my dad. But now I've got a. Not, we went through a period of you know, like a desert period. Went through a period of trials, and on the other side, I've got a great relationship with my dad. He didn't know the Lord yet, but God's working, and uh, it'll, you know, I just got to keep believing that it's going to happen. 
the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, my relationship with, 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 with my father went through some trials and it comes out better on the other end. And sometimes we have a trial or two with God. We, we fight him on certain things. You know, uh, we don't do what he told us to do. But if we, if we come back around, we're, uh, we're going to be, uh, the relationship's going to be better. We just get out of court. So, essentially, the, the last question is, how's, how's your relationship with your heavenly father? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? How do you see the mistakes that you, you know, that, uh, you've made while you've been growing up? Do you see those as mistakes and come back around? When you see God's power, do you, do you still reject him like what Pharaoh did? God's faithful even when we're not. So, that's the message, I think, of, of the play. It's not all about, you know, who got an ass. It's all about who God is and his relationship to you as a father.